There was a Sunday school teacher who asked her class to write one sentence each on what Easter means to me. And one little kid wrote this, egg salad sandwiches for the next two weeks. And I don't know what Easter means to you. It may mean the Easter bunny. It may mean eggs, candy, getting together with family. It may mean coming to church for the first time since Christmas. But I hope that before you leave here today, that Easter means the resurrection of God the Son on your behalf. Because that is what Easter is all about. The resurrection of Jesus changes everything. I want to tell you about a couple of people. Sean has never felt accepted or a sense of belonging. He went to an Ivy League school and he owns homes in Dallas, Aspen, and Malibu. He has divorced two wives and left three sons and a daughter behind. He has tried everything. Adventurous vacations, nice cars, expensive watches, and sexual pleasure. He spends most of his evenings in his upscale condo, lonely and self-absorbed. His life looks okay on the outside, but he is dying inside. Christy has always done the right thing, and even when her sister went wild, she remained faithfully obedient to her parents. She made straight A's all the way through school, married an accountant, and makes responsible decisions. She has never stolen anything. She's never drank more than one glass of wine or cheated on her taxes. She is as perfect as you can imagine. And she thought she earned a healthy family, marriage, and life. But her husband rarely talks to her. Her parents disapprove of her choice in wallpaper. And her four-year-old son never obeys. Her life appears to be fine, but it is far from the happily ever after that she spent her whole life dreaming of. As you listen to Sean and Christy's stories, did any of that remind you of anything in your own life? In your own story? Maybe you don't have the same exact story, but do you have things in your past that you're not proud of? Do you have regrets, skeletons that live in your closet that you don't want anybody to find? Do you ever feel like you are just existing, eking your way through life, having more than you need but never satisfied, constantly looking for something to fill that void in your heart? Do you ever fear when it comes to the future, wondering what will become of you when the curtain closes and you are laid in the grave? Do you wonder if you will spend eternity somewhere, if anywhere, Though our stories are different, what is safe to say is that we all have questions and we all have struggles that show that something is profoundly wrong. We all know that there's something inside of us that needs to be changed. The cry of redemption is found in every human heart. Thankfully, the resurrected Jesus makes real change really possible. Please turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 12 through 23. If you need a Bible, there's a blue one in the back of the pew there in front of you. 
and it's on page 961, I believe. 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to look at verses 12 through 23, and here's, here's the question I want us to think about, and what, the question we're going to wrestle with today. I'll give you a second to look there, to get there. But earlier I said that the resurrected Jesus makes real change really possible. The question I want to wrestle with today is how can you and I experience real change in the resurrected Jesus? How can we experience real change? Not wishful thinking, not you know, dreams, but real change. And as we look at this passage, we're going to see how we can experience real life change regarding our past, our present, and our future. And I want to pray for us um, before we, we, we read this text, and then I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read God's Word. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you have given us the blessed opportunity to gather here today and worship your risen Son. All of human history, all of the universe is different because of his life his death, and his resurrection. And I pray today that for me and my friends who are here with me, that you would speak your truth to our hearts, maybe in a way like never before, that your words on the pages of your holy scripture would come and speak life and joy to our hearts. We need to be changed, and your truth changes us. So we ask that you would be with us in a powerful way through the presence of your spirit, and that the gospel would seep into the broken parts of our hearts, and it would bring life and redemption. We need it, God. We need to be changed. I need to be changed. Would you change us today? We pray this in the name, the powerful, resurrected name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand as we read this. So this is 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to read verses 12 through 23. It says this, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. You can take a seat. So Paul begins this passage. He says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, the rest of this passage is going to hinge on understanding this, so we need, to, we need to stop for a second and talk about what he's referring to. 
Well, Paul is referring to the gospel, to the good news, what he has preached and what the believers in Corinth, the people he's writing to, believe. He's referring back to something that is the common ground of all Christians throughout all of history. And what is the gospel? If you look at verse 3, you get the gospel in a very succinct, almost nutshell-type presentation. He says this in verse 3, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve. Then He appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. So basically, there are four components to the gospel. First of all, Christ died for our sins. Secondly, he was buried. Third, he was raised on the third day. And then fourth, he appeared to over 500 people. Folks, the gospel is called the good news because in essence, what it is in its message, it's an announcement that God has done for us in Christ what we cannot do on our own. Christ has died for our sins, paying the penalty for that, and he has been buried and rose from the grave, defeating sin and death. And we know that this is true because if you were a contemporary with Paul, if you were alive when he wrote this letter, there were over 500 people you could go and they could say, I physically saw the risen, resurrected Christ. And so... Paul begins his passage by saying, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, now if the gospel is true, if what you have heard and what you believed is true, then he says this. He says, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? How can some of you say that? Now what was happening is in their day, there was this group of people in this church at Corinth that did not believe that they or other people, other believers, were going to be raised from the dead. They believed that Jesus had been raised from the dead, but that they they believed that his death and resurrection did not impact anybody else in the sense that anybody else would be raised. The reason why they believed this is because they were Greeks. They were in the western part of Greece, and the Greeks had a theology that there was no resurrection for anybody. The Greeks believed in this theology that the physical body is bad and the soul is good. And so upon death, what they believed was that when you go into the grave, your spirit separates from your body. It is liberated from the cage that is your body. And then now your spirit lives on. And you had different people who believed different things about it. But in essence, in general, that is what the Greeks believed. And so what the Church at Corinth, what was happening is there were people in this church who believed the gospel. They believed that Christ had been raised from the dead, but they also borrowed some theology and philosophy from the people in their culture, and they believed that Christ's resurrection did not mean that they too would be raised. And Paul comes in saying, if you believe that, that is illogical. It is, it is, it is inconsistent. Either Christ has been raised and we will be raised, or Christ has not been raised, and we will not be raised. That's what he's saying. He's like, you've you, you got to pick, either. it's either both or nothing. It's all or nothing. And so he has to come to them, and he has to point out the, that this is an illogical belief. It is foolishness. And he unpacks that for us in this passage. In verse 13, 
says, if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And then he goes in and he, he talks about all of these implications. If you throw out the resurrection, you lose so much other stuff. And he's going to walk through and we're going to look at some of the things that he says because these are the ways we understand how the gospel makes a difference, how it offers real change for you and for me. Look at verse 16 with me. In verse 16, he says this, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And then in verse 17, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. If there is no resurrection of the dead, if Christ has not been raised, you are still in your sins. Without the resurrection, folks, there is no gospel. There is no good good news if Jesus did not come out of the grave. We are still dead. We are still in need of redemption if Christ didn't actually physically rise up out of that grave. You cannot believe in the cross and be good and forgiven and wiped clean and redeemed. You have to believe in the resurrection to be saved. Because if Jesus doesn't rise from the grave, he is a dead would-be savior. The resurrection is essential to the gospel. Okay? But Paul, he goes on and he shows, as we just read in verses 3 through 6, the resurrection is true. Christ has been raised. And therefore, so if he has been raised, we have been set free from our sins. The message of this Bible, all throughout, if you want to read the Bible cover to cover, what you are going to find out is that God is going to tell you that this world is broken, it's fallen, and every single person on the face of the earth, the only person that this is not true of is Jesus. All of us are sinners. We're born into sin, and then throughout our lives, we bear the fruit of our sinful nature. We make decisions, we make choices that shake our fist in God's face, and we, we step on the, the dignity and the image of God and other people in the way that we use and abuse and we steal and we rob and we completely take advantage of one another. There's ample evidence that we are all sinners, right? Now what is true is that that sin that you and I commit is against a holy and righteous eternal God who has no beginning or end. And so that sin is an eternal sin because it's a sin against an eternal being. And what the gospel says is that because of that, we deserve death. Because of our sin, we deserve to die completely, forever. But what we just read is that because of Christ, because of his life, his death, and resurrection, we can be set free from our sin. And that's true because Christ went to the cross. He died the death that you and I deserve. I deserve to be on that cross. Because you know what? Each one of us, if we were there that day, we would have been in the crowd yelling with our angry fist, crucify him. We would have lined up to nail the nails in his hands. We would have lined up to nail the nails in his feet. That's what we do with our sin. We deserved to be on that cross. But Jesus went so that we don't have to. He took our place. He was the lamb that was sacrificed. He sacrificed himself. So whether or not you admit it or not, the reality is that you and I are sinners and we deserve death for our sin. But because of Christ's death and resurrection, you can be set free. You don't have to live in the bondage to your past. You don't have to live in bondage to your sins. Every ounce of your sin can be taken 
to the cross with Jesus if you will believe that his life, his death, and resurrection can set you free. If you believe that his blood can cover your sins, they can be covered. In Isaiah 53, that passage that we read earlier, in verses 4 and 5, let me flip there real quick. It says this, Isaiah 53, this is verse 4 and 5. We read, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. Healing comes in the blood of Jesus. And the beautiful thing I love about this, these verses is that not only did Jesus die to set us free from our sins, the things that we've done wrong, the, the motives of our heart, the dispositions that are wicked and evil, he also died bearing our griefs and carrying our sorrows. And what that means to me, folks, is that God didn't just take my sin into the grave with Jesus. He took the shame and the guilt that's a result of my sin into the grave with Jesus. So I can live free from shame, free from guilt, if I will fix my mind on the fact that Christ has died for my sin and the shame and guilt that comes with it. So I don't have to live under the shame and guilt of my sin, and neither do you. If we will truly believe that it's dead, buried with Christ, and defeated in his resurrection, it has no ownership of us. It is not our master. It is not our Lord. You do not have to live in agony over the mistakes and the skeletons in your closet. You don't have to live under the crushing weight of all of the stuff in your past. It went into the grave with Jesus if you believe in him. The first way that you can experience the life-changing power of the resurrected Jesus is to trust that Jesus set you free from your sins. Trust Jesus to set you free from your sins. He can take care of all of your past. And he'll, you know, the awesome thing is he takes care of all of your sin, the stuff that will happen tomorrow and the rest of your life because it was poured out on him all at once. He absorbed it all. But what else happens if there's no resurrection? If Christ hasn't been raised, what else do we lose? Let's go back to 1 Corinthians 15 and look at verse 14 with me. It says, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. Jump down to verse 17. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. So Paul's point in this is that if Christ has not been raised... All of the gospel preaching that has happened throughout all of the centuries, but he's specifically referring to his and the other apostles, all of their preaching is in vain. It is useless if Christ has not been raised. Once again, without the resurrection, there is no gospel. But then he also says, if, that's, if Christ hasn't been raised, your faith is in vain. What he means is your faith is useless. It's worthless. It means nothing. It earns you nothing. It it brings nothing to you if there is no resurrection of Jesus. So if Christ has not been raised, there is no gospel, and we're all wasting our time. Let's close our Bibles, let's walk out these doors, and let's never return to this place. Because if Christ has been, not been raised, we are worshiping a dead man. And he can do nothing for us. But Christ has been raised, and the gospel is true. 
Paul's preaching is useful, and our faith is useful, and it's also fruitful, the opposite of futile. How? How is the gospel fruitful? How is our faith useful? What does it do for us? Friends, the gospel is useful. Our faith is fruitful because the gospel gives us Jesus. It gives us the person of God. We don't get a bunch of gifts. We get God himself. That is what the gospel gives us. Our faith gives us Jesus himself. And I don't know about you, but I want someone who defeated the grave. That's who I want. I don't want advice. I don't want some preacher to tell me how to have a better marriage and how to raise my kids. I want somebody to tell me that you may not have a good marriage and you may not raise good kids, but it's okay because Jesus covered all of that and he will give you the power to live in his resurrected life. That's what I want. You see, here's the reality. Life is hard and we all experience pain, sorrow, and loss that comes from walking this earth. We've been betrayed. We've been abandoned by other people. We've buried friends and family, and I know that there are some of you in this room who have had to do the horrible thing and bury one of your own children. That is a part of the reality of this life. But the gospel, our faith in Jesus, is useful and fruitful because it brings us Jesus. And in the midst of betrayal and abandonment, Jesus will be enough. He is enough. Only Jesus brings life and hope when we mourn for those that we've lost. He can bring hope and light into our darkness in a way that nothing else can because he is the light and he is hope. He is life. He doesn't just give life. He is life. He is eternal. And the the empty grave proves it. Because Christ has been raised, we can have useful and fruitful faith. Not wishful thinking, not something that we hope works out in the end but useful, fruitful faith that gives us the resurrected Jesus who lets us know that no matter what, God is with us, he will never leave us nor forsake us, and in this life we have everything we need to weather whatever storm may come. You don't need advice, you don't need me to give you a bunch of stuff on how to be a better person. You need to know that no matter what, Jesus is with you, and he's for you. Your present life can be changed from one full of misery and dissatisfaction, looking from one thing to the next, to a life of peace, of joy, and love. And I want you to hear me really, really clearly on this next point. I am not telling you that Jesus will make all the bad things in your life go away. I'm not saying that he will protect you from horrible things. What I am telling you is that he will be with you and he will be enough no matter what you face. You can go through anything because you have Jesus if you have him. You can face anything because he is enough. Even though life is racked with pain, even though there is loneliness and sorrow, if you have Jesus, you will be able to go on. You will find strength and you will find power in him, as we've seen in the resurrection. In Romans 6, 4, one of the other passages we read earlier, it says, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that, this means with the result that, Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. If I asked you to raise your hand, every single one of you would raise your hand answering yes to the question, "Do do I want newness of life? Every one of us wants newness of life. Newness of life is found only in Jesus. 
Newness of life is found only in him, and he will give it to us if we come to him and we believe that he is the only source of it. So the second way you can experience real change in Jesus is to rely on Jesus to be enough for you. Quit looking to family, quit looking to friends, quit looking to work, money, sex, fun. Look to Jesus and he will be enough. You've tried and you've tasted those other things. They fail again and again. Look to Jesus, rely on him to be enough. So we've talked about the past and the present. Before we close, I want to talk about the future. How do we experience real change in Jesus for the future? Look at verses 20 through 23. For in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. So first, first thing we read there in verse 20 is, that In fact, Christ has been raised, and he is the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. Now, real quickly, those who have fallen asleep are believers in Jesus, those who belong to God, who have already died. And I love the metaphor whenever the Bible talks about death as sleep for believers, because it implies that we're going to get up. It implies that we're not finished with death. It is not the last part of our lives. So for believers, if you are in Jesus, death is more like a nap than anything else. It may feel like a long nap, looking forward to it, but in light of the fact that you'll live forever, it'll be a nap. <laughs> and so what he's saying here is that Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. First fruits is this concept from the Old Testament where they would bring a sample of their crops, and it was representative of the rest of the crop that was to come. And so when it says that Christ is the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, what it says is he is the type, he is the example of what God is going to do for all others who belong to God. God raised Jesus from the dead, and he will raise all others who are in Jesus, who belong to him, from the dead. He will give them life. And so Paul goes on and, and says, basically, I mean, basically the idea here is the resurrection is a sample. It is a preview of what is coming for those who are in Jesus. Another way to think of it is like this. For us, we don't really do first fruits. Anybody here have a farm and bring crops to church? I don't think so. Okay, so a better example for us in 2014 is probably the idea of a down payment. And we see this imagery regarding the Spirit, but in a sense, according to what Paul's saying, Jesus is like a down payment from the Father. It's like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you this, and what I want you to see in this is that this is what's coming for you. When somebody puts a down payment, they intend to come and pay for the rest. What he's doing in raising Christ is intending to come and raise the rest of us who belong to him. I know it's a weird thought concept, and it's not a perfect analogy, but the idea is that this helps us know what God has done for Jesus, he will do for us. And then Paul goes on to say, he explains that in verses 22 and 23. He says, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But catch this. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Those who belong to Christ. 
For those who have faith in Jesus, they will be made alive with Jesus. Our futures are forever changed by God's resurrection of Jesus. The grave could not hold our Savior, and if we have by faith belong to Him, the grave cannot hold us. Think about that for a second. The grave could not hold Jesus, and it is evidence that the grave will not hold us who belong to Him. Back in college, I had a three-legged possum that lived in my backyard. At this point, you should all be wondering, what in the world does this have to do with anything? Well, this, this three-legged possum, I would pull up at night and park in the back of my house, and he would kind of scamper and wobble, and I won't Im- imitate him because that would be rude and uh, embarrassing. But uh, he would scamper his way through my yard. And one thing I would say about possums is they're not very smart. But I was reading something this week that makes me kind of feel like I know, uh, I know an apology to the possum family. A possum, if it sees a hole in the ground... If it sees one set of tracks going into that hole in the ground, it is smart enough to know that hole has something in it, so I'm not going to go in there. But if a possum sees a hole in the ground and it sees two sets of tracks, it's pretty smart, and it realizes whatever went in there came out. The resurrection of Jesus shows us two sets of tracks from the grave. It shows us that he didn't just go in. He came out. Now the the stone was rolled away and God raised him to life. That's what happened. But that analogy is helpful because it shows us that our story does not end in death if we belong to Christ. Your story does not have to end in death if you trust him and place your faith in him. The message of Easter is that you and I can face the future without fear, with hope, because Jesus has defeated the grave. You don't have to wonder what will happen to you when the curtain closes. You don't have to sit around in misery thinking about, will I make it to the other side? Will I make it to heaven? Will I be with God? If you trust in Jesus, you don't have to worry about it. You can know for a fact that you will be raised. Something I read yesterday that I thought was pretty neat um, said, for Christians, we, we have a symbol of a cross that you see back here. You see it on this table. We, we see these everywhere. And we have a symbol of a cross instead of a ladder because this reminds us that the thing that brings hope and life and, and all of the things that we need happened when Jesus died for us. But it also happened when he rose from the grave. So I don't know, maybe we should start having crosses that have an empty tomb next to them. But we don't have a symbol of a ladder up here, folks, because none of us could climb the ladder. The rungs would be broken. We could never make our way to God. The message of the gospel, the message of Easter, is that God has done for us what we could not do for ourselves, He has made it possible for the gap to be filled, for us to cross over from death to life, for our shortcomings, our sin, our hatred, all of the ways that we have completely trodden under our feet Christ's blood. 
All of that can be forgiven because Jesus died for us. And the resurrection, his empty tomb, proves that God accepted his sacrifice and that we can live forever. So the way that you can experience life change regarding your future is to hope in Jesus that he will make your dead body come back to life. I like the way one of my friends who, who is a poet eloquently put this in one of his songs that I've been listening to. He said, because of Jesus, what's going to happen for us is God's going to make dancers out of our cadavers. Isn't that, isn't that awesome to think about that? We will dance in the presence of our God for eternity if we belong to him. So the question you've got to ask yourself is, do you belong to Jesus? Do you belong to him? Do you trust him? Do you believe that his life, his death, and resurrection is the only way for you to know God, to be accepted and forgiven by him? You can belong to God if you will place your faith in Jesus. I began this morning's sermon telling you about Sean and Christy. And thankfully there's more to their stories because they are experiencing real change in Jesus. Sean is no longer lonely and self-absorbed. Remember, he's the guy with all the houses and chasing pleasure. He's no longer lonely and self-absorbed. He is accepted by God and using his gifts and finances to help repair a broken world. He sold some of his homes and started a business that empowers locals throughout Africa to build and repair their own water wells. It was scary, but he sought forgiveness and restoration with his former wives and children. And he now lives a truly adventurous life trusting in God and obeying his commands. He now spends most of his evenings in his upscale condo, marveling over God's love for him and his newly formed relationship. Sean is at peace, and his life is truly a success because he is in Jesus. Now, Christy, she stopped trying to earn the approval of others. No longer is she that religious, self-righteous girl that she was, she is instead finding the time to engage the resurrected life of humble service and joy. She and her husband are foster parents, trying to care for as many orphans as they can. She extends grace to her four-year-old and listens to him, even when he disobeys. And for the first time in a decade, she talks regularly with her rebellious sister. She doesn't care what her parents think about her wallpaper choices. She knows Jesus died and rose again for her. And she is finally experiencing the happily ever after that she always longed for. And it is better than she ever dared to dream. Real change is found in Jesus. And it's not a pipe dream. It is a reality that is yours for the taking. You can keep looking to everything under the sun. You can keep running to all these created things that are broken and are empty and they never satisfy your soul or you can experience life-changing power in God the Son, the resurrected Jesus who defeated the grave. Your life, your past, your present, your future can be forever changed today if you will trust in Jesus. Will you trust him to set him, you free from your sins? Will you rely on him to be enough for you today? And will you hope in him that he will bring your dead body back to life. Let's pray.